complain too much well i could but i won't not on the radio i hear that i hear that so again you're listening to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn we're recording this on saturday august 26 2023 you're listening for the first time on sunday august 27th at one o'clock and we'll be rebroadcasting on monday at 11 a.m so at the top of the hour, like we're finishing up our week, our month of celebrating 50 years of hip hop. So at the beginning, uh, you heard Eggman by the Beastie Boys, uh, which samples Curtis Mayfield's Superfly. Um, so on this week's show, we're going to do two big stories that are both um, related to healthcare issues. Um, and we may have a good news story at the end. I hope that we are able to find one. Uh, because both of our our national and our world stories are kind of heavy. Uh, but for national news, I'll be talking about HICPAC, um, an advisory group that is advising uh, the CDC to, or is planning to advise the CDC to weaken infection control measures in hospitals and uh, in long-term care facilities. And for world news, we'll be discussing a, a really sad um, story about a uh, a nurse in England who was found to be uh, killing infants, um, but was finally caught. Um, So for the national news, um, I'll get started. And this is um, fairly long since we only really have the two big stories today. Um, But I think it's worth talking about thoroughly because it does affect all of us. And I think a lot of people might not be aware of this. Um, So this article was written by Judy Stone in Forbes. Uh, The title is Public Pushes Back on CDC's Plan to Weaken Infection Control. Uh, And this came out just the other day on August the 25th. A CDC, that's Centers for Disease Control, advisory group met this week but did nothing to assuage concerns that it will further roll back protections for patients and healthcare workers in nursing homes and hospitals. As noted in an earlier post, the Healthcare Infection Control Advisory Committee advises the CDC on guidelines for infection control in healthcare settings. HICPAC met in June and initially published slides outlining its draft guidelines, which includes suggesting that N95 masks are no more protective than surgical masks also known as baggy blues. Uh, So those are the very common uh, thin ear loop masks that you see people wear, but they don't really 
uh, just for the audience awareness, like they can be helpful if you yourself are sick. It helps to reduce the amount of germs that you spread to other people, but they don't really help you much to protect you from getting an infection because there's gaps around, like it, it doesn't filter out very much like airborne particles. Uh, compared to an N95 or better, which is able to do that. It protects you and also the per, um, the people around you. The guidelines caused an uproar within the medical community over concerns that the CDC would put workers and patients at increased risk by weakening infection control measures. Uh, and just to step outside of the Forbes article for a second, this is from Infection Control Today. Uh, written by Kevin Cavanaugh and Jane Thomason. Uh, they wrote in One Step Forward, two, two Back, CDC's Proposals for Infection Control in Healthcare Facilities. Um, they listed three separate issues that they found problematic with some of these proposed guidelines. Number one is the CDC and HICPAC are proposing three levels of aerosol protections. Uh, commentators disagreed with that approach because it maintains existing recommendations that reserve N95 respirators for only select pathogens, for example, measles and varicella, and quote-unquote pandemic phase pathogens like influenza or coronaviruses, and recommends a surgical mask for other respiratory vi viruses, including quote-unquote seasonal influenza and coronaviruses different tiers of protection between pandemic and seasonal phases for the same pathogen are arbitrary and ignore decades of research. Proposals also weaken protection for novel or new viruses. Negative pressure rooms, so those are rooms that you're put in for, like you're isolated when you have certain illnesses, were not recommended for MERS, SARS-CoV-1, so that's the original SARS, SARS-CoV-2, or what we call COVID, or novel pathogens, so like new emerging like illnesses. Two, the CDC and HICPAC propose enhanced barrier precautions, or EBPs, for nursing homes, where barrier precautions are only recommended for staff-patient interactions with high transmission risks. EBPs are not supported by the research, which found that some low-risk activities like passing medications are performed so commonly that staff clothing contamination would occur. In addition, residents under EBPs can still participate in normal facility activities. Disturbingly, these recommendations are being advocated to control candida auris and carpopenum-resistant enterobacteria, say, transmission. So those are both very serious like illnesses that you can get in a high-risk uh, medical care facility. And number three, overall, there was a concern that the CDC HICPAC continued to propagate watered-down crisis standards by proposing only a minimal standard for infection control programs. This crisis standards approach during the COVID-19 pandemic led to extensive healthcare worker and patient infections, through, though tracking of both has been woefully insufficient in the U.S. Um, so that's some background on like what some of the big changes are 
um, that people are protesting or they're upset about. Uh, and back to Forbes, registration for Tuesday's teleconference was robust. Interest in this little known working group was intense enough that the CDC added a YouTube link. It was the first time that HICPAC had live streamed its public meetings per a CDC spokesperson. The link went dead after the meetings and viewers saw a notice that it was now private. After complaints from the public, the CDC reposted the video. Given the public backlash about the draft recommendations, I expected the August 22nd meeting to discuss COVID-19, masking, and respiratory protections. I was mistaken. HICPAC's discussion on isolation was focused solely on contact or barrier precautions, which are used primarily for wounds and contact with secretions from patients infected with MRSA or resistant organisms. There was no mention of respiratory isolation by the committee. There were several recurrent themes from the public comments period, which the committee cut off after 41 minutes, leaving many people who had wanted to personally address the committee unable to speak. Uh, so there's a number of um, examples in the Forbes article of uh, different issues. I won't read all of them for the sake of time, but I'll read some of the most important. Aerosol transmission is not being addressed by HICPAC. The first speaker, Paul, and uh, the writer thinks the last name was Hennessy, indicated he was just a member of the public. He started by stating that clean air is the most effective tool for fighting a wide variety of airborne illnesses, and it will help with patients and medical staff alike. He noted that previously the CDC had said that N95 respirators offer better protection than surgical masks, but have now backtracked. He criticized the absurdity of ventilation not being addressed, adding, if I, a member of the public, can easily figure out how viral transmission works and how respirators and ventilation help, surely you can too. Further, several speakers expressed concern that HICPAC's draft proposal also fails to include ventilation, UV disinfection, and HEPA filtration, all essential for airborne pathogens, um, nor enhanced protection from elastomeric mass or powered air purifying respirators. The public needs protection from asymptomatic transmission. Caitlin Sundling is a pathologist and member of the People's CDC, a coalition of public health practitioners, scientists, healthcare workers, educators, and others working to reduce the impact of COVID-19. She recommended returning to universal masking with N95s or better respirators, particularly since asymptomatic transmission of COVID-19 is common. She made the analogy of exposure to tuberculosis because that infection is often mistakenly not considered a part of a differential diagnosis. For example, what might be the cause of a mass, tuberculosis or cancer? If we only protect ourselves against known or certain exposures, we put both patients and workers at risk. Uh, concerns over lack of experts and flawed literature. 
Many of the speakers expressed concern that the evidence review on N95 respirator and surgical mask effectiveness was cherry-picked and ignored abundant real-world experience. Rachel Weintraub, executive director of the Coalition for Sensible Safeguards, stressed that regulatory safeguards should focus on our quality of life and pave the way for a sound economy. She and others want to see the CDC and HICPAC seek input on proposed changes from the public and key stakeholders, including healthcare personnel and their representatives, industrial hygienists, occupational health nurses, safety professionals, and engineers, including those with expertise in ventilation design and operation, research scientists, including those with expertise in aerosols and respiratory protection. Who benefits when guidelines are weakened? Several speakers observed that requiring only the bare minimum of protections allowed employers to avoid protecting their employees in order to cut costs. Eliminating the expense of personal protective equipment and training is a great savings. Others noted it also protects employers from OSHA fines, uh, so that's occupational. Hold on, let me pause this from OSHA or Occupational Safety and Health Administration fines or liability suits from staff sickened at work. Nathaniel Narod, and we interviewed Nathaniel for this program um, not too long ago about aerosol transmissions, is a professional investor whose partner has contracted COVID-19 twice at doctor's offices. He suggested it is far less expensive to buy a $40 respirator for each of your staff than to face hundreds of millions of dollars in liability, disabled staff, and reputational damage with people avoiding your hospital. Um, and also, um, healthcare workers are refusing to mask and not accommodating patients. Liv Grace was one of many speakers who made emotional, moving pleas to the committee, showing the human toll of HICPAC's recommendations. Grace noted that they are a physically disabled cancer survivor, chronically ill and immunosuppressed, but being unable to safely access medical care is the hardest part. Grace said they became ill with RSV and pneumonia because an infusion center nurse refused to wear an N95. Since then, they have been sickened by COVID-19 and pneumonia twice. Grace notes, one-way masking is not enough for me. They said, hospitals have refused their request under Americans with Disabilities Act accommodations to have healthcare workers mask. So Grace has put off seeking care so as not to risk being reinfected, endangering their health by doing so. This problem was reiterated by many of the speakers. Grace concluded movingly, this is eugenics. I'm Jewish and I see the writing on the wall, the history of not only the Holocaust, but many genocides. They continued, they target disabled people first, and I'm literally begging for something to be done. Author Steve Silberman has written extensive, extensively about disability and eugenics. In a subsequent interview, Stanford sociologist Pantia Javidan, JD, PhD, 
spoke of the power dynamics between patients and physicians and how that can make it nearly impossible for patients to request for staff members to mask. Concerns over HICPAC's processes. In addition to raising concerns about the guidelines themselves, several speakers also criticized HICPAC's seemingly secretive processes, citing a July letter by 900 public health experts to Mandy Cohen, a new CDC director. Deborah Gold said they are, seri they are seriously concerned about the lack of transparency. She added, despite repeated requests, we have not seen a draft of the proposed guidelines. We have not seen the minutes of working groups or even of the previous meeting. Gold, retired deputy chief for health at OSHA, also criticized the draft guidelines for not including early identification and isolation of infected people. And I'm sorry, she worked for Cal slash OSHA. Peg Seminario, an industrial hygienist and co-author of the expert letter to the CB CDC, echoed Gold's comments. She emphasized that 20% of COVID infections are healthcare related, reflecting a failure of current infection control practices to protect people. Weintraub agreed, adding, create a public docket on the development of the guidelines and include all meeting minutes, draft guidelines, all scientific evidence used in the development of the guidelines, and also comments from the public. Inform the public in advance when there will be, when there will be a vote to increase the opening, openness and transparency of this process. Others expressed concern about biases among HICPAC's members Erica Shinoy, MD, PhD, and Hilary Babcock, MD, MPH, who serve on the committee, are lead authors of an Annals of Internal Medicine article, Universe, Universal Masking in Healthcare Settings, a Pandemic Strategy Whose Time Has Come and Gone for Now. In an interview, Javidan said the proposed changes feel like a controlled demolition of the kind of scaffolding that had been built it doesn't make sense to actually destroy that in infrastructure that's helping us to stay as safe as we can from COVID-19. The current narrative is just kind of getting rid of anything that reminds anyone of COVID-19. Um, so I know that we didn't have a local story, like there was a last minute change. So I decided to do a longer national one, but the implications of these changes, if they go through, are really massive. Um, and as you can see, or as was explained by people who were complaining, who know what they're talking about, like the changes are not being made with patient safety in mind or with healthcare worker safety in mind either. Like it's very much um, based on what's cheapest for hospitals and, you know, trying to force people to pretend like uh, certain very clear risks are no longer risks. So hopefully these changes do not go through. Uh, Reese, had you heard anything about this or were you aware at all of these proposed changes? No, I hadn't heard anything about this, which is really good that you brought it to uh, the forefront. One of the things I was thinking about when you were reading it is how before COVID, 
you know, these protocols were not things that the public had any real exposure to. I think that people who work in the medical field have more exposure to this type of information, but it hasn't been like in a public forum or in a court of public opinion until we actually had a pandemic that affected the world. And we had to start really thinking about what's going on. Um, I don't think it's right for us to go back to a space that we are not aware of these policies and how they will affect us in the, in the face of something similar to what we went through. Um, and to roll back anything that has obviously changed because of the effects of the pandemic, first of all, it, it, it is rooted in money and evil, if you ask me. Um, I think that, you know, maybe that's a blanket statement, but the reality is there are people still in this world that did not get equal treatment from COVID and countries that never even got their portion of vaccines. However you feel about it, the way that the world broke down after that with the delineation of healthcare services and providers and also um, equipment and materials that are necessary for people to sustain their jobs, let alone humanity, uh, was something that was very disheartening. So anything that is being done to take us back to a space that we were not at before or to a space that eliminates those extra protections and protocols that were put in place, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, am I surprised by it? Not really. Um, only because I've noticed that, you know, in the times that we're living, it seems like most organizations are not concerned about the what ifs anymore. Like the last three years, have been a weird fluctuation of money and power uh, around protocols and procedures and all types of institutions because of what happened to the world. And now that it's not, um, you know, so prominent, if you will, or people are thinking that it's over, you know, everything that was put in place seems to be forgotten. You know, I've noticed that um, I was surprised even that um, in my work, as we go into a new year, that COVID-19 protocols were even still mentioned. Um, and that could be because it is education, but they were still mentioned. It was something that was still brought to the forefront about how to handle it um, in the case of you know people getting it and things of that nature. But I'm not surprised that they are making these cuts and uh, transformations um, right now. It just seems, it seems on brand with what's been happening for the past few years, but it's really unfortunate because if it does happen again, we will have to go through the reestablishment of things that we already were prepared to handle. Right. And, you know, I, I do think it, the lack of transparency is very disturbing because I, I was aware of this. I had been hearing about it throughout the summer and I knew that there was like a public comment portion and to see that the video went up and then it was made private immediately. And they only put the video up where people were talking back about these proposed changes after a public outcry. It's a very, very bad sign. You know, like there's this push to have these decisions being made like in the dark with cherry picking information or trying to skew the way people view the current situation to make them think things are better than they actually are. When, you know, not just with COVID, but, you know, there's many different illnesses that exist that are transmissible in the air. 
like measles, like they mentioned, like measles, there's tuberculosis, like there could be a new virus that shows up. And, you know, for those who are not aware, like COVID-19 cases are and hospitalizations and deaths are on the rise in this country right now. And we're not even in the winter months. Influenza is still a serious and dangerous virus. I think it's very damaging how people have sort of forgotten that the flu kills people every year and the flu also mutates and changes where you can have a very bad strain of flu one year that's deadlier than it was last year. So this undermining of just basic infection control because of the bottom line it's something that we should all be worried about. And um, I know for myself, like I have a loved one right now who is at very high risk, like if they were to get infected with COVID-19 and they also have other issues they're going through right now medically where unfortunately they're going to have to be going to appointments, going potentially to get procedures done. When you're in that type of environment, you're extremely vulnerable. You can't always wear a mask. Like if you have to have tubes in you or you're under anesthesia, you're being operated on. So if you have people around you in that environment who are not masking, you have lowered infection control. You go in with one thing and you come out with two things, you know, and um, those hospital inquired infections are not a joke. Like they kill a lot of people. So I would encourage everyone to push back against these proposed guidelines. Um, National Nurses United um, is asking people to push back against them. Uh, Their website is nationalnursesunited.org. There's a link on their front page. Uh, Urge the CDC and HICPAC to fully recognize aerosol transmission and protect healthcare workers and patients. Uh, So you can sign their petitions and read more information about why this is dangerous for us and anyone who works in healthcare facilities. Um, But yeah, pay attention to these things, people, because you never know when you're gonna be seeking care and then you're in an actively unsafe environment. And you know, that's the last thing you need when you're already sick or you're already struggling. And also, I think we need to be more mindful of people who work in these facilities, whether they are doctors, nurses, any member of the medical staff and the administrators who run these facilities day in, day out. Uh, When decisions like this are made, they put their lives in jeopardy to run these institutions that we all need so bad. So this type of legislation or these type of uh, not legislations, but protocols not being met or being shifted and changed, ultimately affect a very large number of people in our society. So we should be more engaged in these discussions because the reality is without these institutions, how how will any of us get the care that we need? So that's definitely a reason for us to be a part of this conversation and push back against these changes because ultimately I'm sure everyone who's listening to this and people who aren't know someone who works in the healthcare industry who will be affected by this, uh, whichever way it goes, even if you are not right now. Right. Absolutely. You know, people who are in the hospital, whether they're patients, the custodial staff, the people that bring you your food, the doctors, nurses, everyone, like 
we're all a part of the same community. So we don't want to see these weakened protections. Like that's not good for anyone directly involved. But then, you know, these people then go out to their families and other settings, and then they bring those things out with them. So it's in all of our best interest for us to be be in the business of taking precautions, like react in advance. Don't wait for something to get bad and then have to react to it. Like we have the information, we have the knowledge, we have the ability to reduce the spreads of not just COVID, but many of these other illnesses. We do not need to be going back into the dark ages as if we don't know what germs are anymore. You know, and it's it's really a shame. It's ridiculous that we have people in a position like this to be trying to drag us backwards for money. You know, what's your money going to do for you if like you can't breathe anymore? So please um, take a look at National Nurses United and um, support them if you can. Uh, I would also recommend um, listening to, it's an off-putting title for a podcast, I think, but the podcast Death Panel had a recent episode um, with Jane Thomason, who is a part of uh, National Nurses United, and the title is How the CDC Could Further Weaken Infection Control. That was their August 17th episode, and Jane really does a very great job of explaining exactly what's ex- at stake and what some of these proposed changes are. And if you're, it's very clear to see that these are very shocking changes that put us in literal danger. So please take it seriously and keep your eye on this, folks. And now for our first musical break, this is the Wu-Tang Clan with Protect Your Neck. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. Like smoking Joe Frazier, the Hellraiser, raising hell with the flavor. Terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan. Swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider Man. So all tick tock and keep ticking. Well, I get you flipping off the shit that I'm kicking. The Lone Ranger, co wet, danger. Deep in the dark with the art to rip the charts apart. The vandal, too hot to handle your battle. He's saying goodbye like Devin Campbell. What neck? Inspector Dex on the set. The rebel, I make more noise than heavy metal. The way I make the crowd go wild. Sit back, relax. Smile. Ray got it going on, pal. Call me the rap assassinator. Rhymes rugged and built like Schwarzenegger. And I'ma get mad deep like a threat. Blow up your project, then take all your assets. Cause I came to shake the frame in half with the thoughts that bomb. Shit like math. So if you wanna try to flip, yo, flip on the next man. Cause I'll grab the clip and hit you with 16 shots and more. I got going to war with the melting pot. I- it's the method man for short, Mr. Map. Move it on your left. Ah! And set it off, get it off, let it off like a gat. I wanna break through, cop me back. Small change, they putting shame in the game. I take game and blow that nigga out the frame. And like bang, my style live forever. Niggas crossing over, like they don't know no better. But I do. True, can I get a suit? Enough respect due to the one six ooh. I mean, oh, yo, check out the flow like the Hudson or PCP. When I'm dusting, niggas off because I'm hot like sauce. The smoke from the lyrical butt make me. Uh, what crap, my nut gets screwed. Ow! Here comes my salad style. True, B, A, B, B, Y, U. To my crew with the. Check it out. 
You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And here's Reese with our world news story. All right. So trigger warning, everyone. This story is um, very harsh. It's going to be very difficult for me to read it. It comes from uh, CNN.com. The title of the article is British Nurse to Spend Rest of Her Life in Prison for Murdering Seven Babies. The author is Ivana Kadasova. A British nurse was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on Monday for the murders of seven babies and the attempted murders of six others at a UK hospital where she worked. Lucy Letby, 33, was handed a whole life order by Manchester Crown Court in Northern England, meaning she will never be released. Let me refuse to appear in the dock, prompting calls for laws to be changed so that defendants must attend their sentencing hearings. She was found guilty on Friday by a jury in a case that horrified the country and made her Britain's most prolific child serial killer of recent times. Explaining why she deci- why he decided Letby must spend the rest of her life in prison, Justice James Gross said, this was a cruel, calculated, and cynical campaign of child murder involving the smallest and most vulnerable children. The judge addressed Letby as if she was in court during the sentencing. He ordered his remarks and the victim impact statements read in court earlier in the day to be handed to the convicted serial killer. There was a deep malevolence bordering on sadism. During the course of the trial, you have coldly denied any responsibility for your wrongdoing. You have no remorse. There are no mitigating factors, he said. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on Monday condemned Letby for failing to appear in court. I think it's cowardly that people who commit such horrendous crimes do not face their victims and hear firsthand the impact that their crimes have had on them and their families and their loved ones, PA Media reported. We are looking and have been in changing the law to make sure that that happens and it's something that will bring forward in due course. Let B attack babies in her care by administering, administering air into their blood and stomachs, overfeeding them with milk, physically assaulting them and poisoning them with insulin, the court heard on Friday. The allegations against Letby and her subsequent conviction triggered a government inquiry amid questions over how she was able to escape detection for so long. She secretly assaulted 13 babies on the neonatal ward 
at the Countess of Chester Hospital between 2015 and 2016, Britain's Crown Prosecution Service said in the statement on Friday. Prosecutors argued that Letby's intention was to kill the babies while duping her colleagues into believing that there were natural causes of death. Letby wrote a note saying, I am evil, I did this. The parents of the babies that Letby murder were given a chance to tell the court about the impact of her horrific acts before Friday's sentencing. Many have spoken about their lives being forever changed. The parents of several of the babies that survived Letby's assault said their children now require around-the-clock care. As with the sentencing, Letby was not in the courtroom when the victim's impact statements were read. Throughout the trial, the court heard harrowing testimony from parents, including in one case where Letby had tried to kill the baby boy after murdering his twin brother. The mother of child E and child F said she completely trusted Letby's advice while giving evidence to the court. However, she said, she knew there was something wrong when her baby child E started screaming in the intensive care unit one night. It emerged that before Letby murdered child E, he started bleeding when she tried to assault him. The baby's twin brother, child F, later su survived an attempt by Letby to kill him by insulin poisoning. And it was revealed that police had found a series of handwritten notes by Letby. I don't deserve to live. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. She wrote in one memo, adding to another, I am a horrible and evil person, and in, evil, and in capital letters, I am evil, I did this. In 2018 and 2019, Letby was arrested twice by police in connection with their investigations, PA said. She was arrested again in November 2020. Authorities found the notes Letby had written, as well as a handover notes she had taken from the hospital during searches of her address. During the sentencing, the judge said Letby has kept the hospital documents as morbid records of the events surrounding the collapses of the babies. The UK government issued an independent inquiry into the murders on Friday, including how regulators and Britain's National Health Service dealt with the concerns raised by consultants. Doctors at the hospital noticed a spike in the number of babies who were dying or unexpectedly collapsing in the neonatal unit, the court in Manchester heard. But the hospital's management initially dismissed concerns raised by clinicians over the increased mortality rate of patients under Letby's care. Lawyers for the victims' families have said the inquiry was not good enough and it does not have powers to summon witnesses. In 2016, Letby won a grievance complaint that she had filed against her employers after learning of their initial allegations. She was scheduled to return to the neonatal department in March 2017, but her return did not take place the hospital trust contacted the police who opened an investigation. So that is the story um, on CNN.com. Um, I just heard about this this morning and I was just chatting with a friend. She was asking me what I was going to bring to the table. And uh, when I was telling her about this story, uh, she told me she her mother had told her about it. And she was overwhelmed by it because her mother used to work in the medical uh, facility in New York. And her first question to me was, isn't there some type of psychiatric eval for nurses who get hired in hospitals like there should be for police? And I don't think there is. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, like you're asking, is there one or do I think there should be one? I'm not aware of there being one. Um, okay, me neither. Me neither. So that means but, it probably isn't one. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that it's kind of tricky because people are not going, like, what could someone possibly be doing or saying that would let you know they would do something like this, you know? I guess the only thing you could do is, like, maybe you could look, if someone has a history of behavior that is disturbing, but it's it's unfortunate but sometimes you don't know what someone is you can't tell what someone will do in the future like if they haven't done it yet and like unless something is way off they're not going to admit that they have the intention of doing certain things because they know that it's wrong so i'm not really sure what an evaluation like that like what it would look like or how useful it would be because people can also like they'll say anything in a test or like something that they know they have to get past to get a job i just think that this is definitely brings to my attention that maybe there should be i don't know what that would look like obviously there are background checks um for people who work in the medical field and other fields but this story um you know this woman was doing this the earliest report was 2014. So she's been on this rampage path for so long. Who knows how many people's children, you know, for this story, it says she secretly assaulted 13 patients between 2015 and 2016. Um, this woman has been, you know, on this rampage for all this time. And I'm sure there are some people who are not accountable for, some women who are in account, or some babies who are, have not been accounted for that have, had you know uh issues under her care right and i think before we um before we started recording when you mentioned that you were gonna talk about this story i said that i, I hadn't read the whole thing but i did see snippets about how there were warnings about her before it had gotten to this point and they were dismissed including like there were doctors who raised concerns about her because they knew like she was like the only nurse on staff. And then all of a sudden the babies were having these wild problems, but they were told that like, Oh, if, if we take action, like the hospital was like, it's going to make the hospital look bad if we do something. And also her parents intervened and they were like threatening her employers. Like if they did something to her, like that there, there would be trouble. So this person really had a lot of, I think because she's like a young white woman or just a white woman in general, I think that played a big role in concerns about her being dismissed. Like, I can't imagine. It's like, I don't think a black nurse or an Asian nurse or in the context of the UK, like, or, you know, a brown woman, like, I don't think that she could have made one mistake or like this as soon as one thing may have gone wrong under her or just seemed a little wrong i think there would have been swift consequences but this person like she was allowed to keep going on and on and on and i feel horrible for the parents of her victims like just horrible and i'd also read that she would seek out at some points like babies that had been the result of like ivf and like the parents have been trying really hard to have a baby and then she would do this like i don't even know what the word is like evil isn't strong enough for someone who would do this like i it's just beyond what you can comprehend obviously this woman is very sick um 
and she knows it, which is another part, but it's also just so sad that she could continue to work in these facilities. I think what you brought up about her race is a huge point um, with that sort of tolerance and her ability to escape the inquiries that was put in about her for whatever reason that she did. And now all these years later, people are living with this, this pain and suffering because this woman was able to fly under the radar. Um, you know, definitely prayers up for every baby who was affected by this woman's uh, evil plight in her life. It really does make me think differently about people in the medical field. Not that I held them in a higher esteem, but just the reality that it's one of those industries that we have to and want to trust so much that we may not be looking at it with a critical eye. Just like in the first story that you brought up today, um, you know, why isn't this all over our newsfeed right now? Why are we not hearing about this? Because this is something to cause concern for anyone, you know, in that conversation with my friend this morning, she's like, you know, there has really been an uptick of people who don't want to have their babies in hospitals. And there are many reasons for that. But, you know, stories like this make you really think um, a little deeper just about the amount of trust we put in these facilities, these institutions, and the people who are supposed to be there to help us. Um, you know, no shade to anybody that works in the medical field. But the reality is, if it was your loved one, you would want to take a critical eye too. No, absolutely. And like you are, you know, it, I do think you have to hold people to a higher standard because they have such a great responsibility. Like I think um, teachers and people in healthcare, like you are entrusted with the care of people who are extremely vulnerable. And so you do have to be, it is different from a lot of other positions. And like, I understand that they're human too, but you know, that's not no rinky dink type job. So I, I don't think that psych evaluations and stuff are, you know, there's a lot of limitations to what those are capable of doing, but I will say, you know, maybe more oversight or like ha when you have sufficient staffing where maybe in some situations someone isn't left alone, you know, and I don't know what's going on so much with the UK, with their health system. I know that they're having issues with the NHS, their national health system being underfunded, and I'm sure they have staffing problems. Um, like we do in the United States, there's staffing shortages all the time, but you know, I think that this is one of the consequences of that is it's easier for people to kind of slide under the radar or, you know, because they're by themselves, like there's this room for these things to happen, like assaulting patients, bullying patients, being mean to them, especially when people can't speak for themselves, like babies can't. A lot of times elderly people can't, a lot of disabled people might not have the ability to communicate um, verbally and stuff like that. So if I had to think of a way that you could reduce it, I would be like, maybe you always have to have a second person. Because if it's just one individual, like that person could be doing whatever and like have a bad day and take it out on somebody. And then you have another tragedy on your hands that might get swept under the rug. So is definitely like super sad, scary situation um, that they're going through. 
I agree. Um, having more staff, more checks and balances, uh, more protocols for when, you know, a loss of life occurs. You know, we don't know exactly what that looks like for the many different areas of healthcare, but just more investigation, more information about what happens being readily available for the families, I think would be helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, not saying that there needs to be a track record for healthcare professionals who, um, for lack of better words, have a body on their hands, right? Because they have done something or malpractice or whatever. But it does make you think, it does make you wonder how that information is kept, stored, um, and evaluated, if it is at all. So, you know, I'm glad this woman is off the streets, out of the hospitals, in the jail. Um, and she won't be coming out, apparently. She has a life sentence for what she did, which she truly deserves. Um, and I'm not, you know, playing playing chief justice. I'm just saying that uh, someone with this much hatred in their heart for babies who are so vulnerable needs to be away um, from them for as long as possible. Right. It's like, if you would do this, you would do anything, man. Like, uh, again, like my heart is broken for the parents. It's just so terrible. And um, hopefully this is a a lesson for the future of like ways that this things can change over there. So it doesn't have to happen to another child. Um, so I'm going, we actually do have a short news story. Like I'm going to share, this is something that um, Matthew shared with me and it's a local news story. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it's from Hellgate NYC and Hellgate. Typically I, I associate them with pretty depressing stories, but this one is actually not that bad. Um, the title is Saturn is in the middle of 9th Street. Joey Del Fossi let a crowd in Park Slope use his telescope on Tuesday night. It's close to midnight and the man with the telescope is back at the intersection of 8th Avenue and 9th Street in Park Slope. This time he's in the middle of the road. A line of people hoping to look through the telescope has formed on the yellow divider in the middle of the street. He won't tell them what he's looking at, only pointing to his target with a finger, what seems to be a single yellow star hovering above the line of brownstones. Instead, the man exhorts prospective viewers to look into the lens and tell him what it is. This fellow with the telescope has been coming to this intersection for more than a decade and offering people a glimpse of the cosmos, says a middle-aged man behind me and my friend online. He's wearing a blue stripe button-down shirt, but the sleeves are cut off to show his biceps. I later find out he is a poet. We have a friend who wrote a poem about this, he says, before giving us her name, Lind Chandhook. The sleeveless man says it would be fun to read the poem to the man with the telescope and thus begins a race to find a copy of the poem on the internet before we get to the front of the line. This The guy will be really tickled, he smiles. Get out of the fucking road, yells one driver, but it's no use. We all want to see Saturn. I'm up next. I shake the telescope man's hand. He's small and old and smiling, wearing a polo shirt and wire-rimmed glasses. His name is Joey Del Fossi, and he has been coming to this intersection with his telescope for more than two decades. He's a former member of the Amateur Astronomers Association. But then, he says, he left because of political infighting. 
it stopped being fun. He has me look into the lens. Saturn is a gold charm. It's tiny, but the silhouette is flawless and unmistakable, gleaming in the dark with its ring perfectly visible. Most people in line seem to have come from the Alves and Alex G concert at the Prospect Park band show. I have to keep moving it every minute. Do you know why that is? He quizzes one of them. Because of the rotation of the earth, answers a long-haired zoomer. Yup, he nods, smiling professorially. I stall for time while the others use their phones to search the internet for Chan Hock's poem, published in 2007. I've never had a crowd like this, he tells me. I ask if he's normally in the middle of the road. No, usually I'm on the sidewalk, he replies. But this is the position you need to be in tonight to see Saturn? Yeah, but as a matter of fact, for the last half hour, I could have brought it back on the sidewalk, but this is kind of fun, he admits with a mischievous chuckle. Civil disobedience or something like that. He doesn't come out every week or on any schedule. I come out when I've got nothing to do, and I know there's going to be something good in the sky, and it's not cloudy, he explains. I try to gently pull him out of the way of an oncoming car, but he brushes me off. If you don't take chances, nothing happens in life. My son always says, Dad, get out of the street. But I can't think of a better way to go. He was looking at his telescope. Someone's found Chan Huck's poem, Neighboring Planet, published in the Hudson Review. The sleeveless man urges my friend to read from his phone, and he complies. He must be there tonight. There's a small crowd of subway riders just emerged, like me, at 9th Street murmuring, No, it's free. I'll wait, though I should be getting home. I've seen the news. Mars will never be this close again. A couple leaves, rejoining hands. It's red, they whisper, thrilled. No, really, red. Last time, when he had Saturn in his sights, I said, Exactly like the rings and all the books or something equally brilliant to the guy behind me in the line. When it's my turn, he points out, fit first, up by the park but low, a faintly orange star, then tells me how to hold my eye just so above the eyepiece until I see dark valleys, smooth red seas, jostling a bit but just like in the pictures. And there I go again confirming, what? It's really nice of you is what I mean, and say, though pleased or proud, he doesn't show it. He just turns to the next person in line and points up toward the park. I turn toward home, now satisfied, now with grave, steady joy in this great thing so bright and not so distant. Delfossi smiles graciously through the reading. He says he's looking forward to seeing Jupiter in late October. So, yeah, I thought that, you know, it was a pleasant community story for a change, you know, people coming together to admire a piece of the a piece of the universe that's so far away from us. Yeah, it's always great when people can gather around something out of this world. Ha ha ha. That was a horrible pun. <laughs> no, I mean, it works. it works. It works. Right? Yeah, no. I was thinking of my toes. <laughs> I mean, look, in this day and age, you know, with so much in the world going to shit, it's like if you can, you know, find some joy or like you're willing to spread some joy to your neighbors, I think that's a beautiful thing. 
Absolutely. All right. So we have done a show and this has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio. Uh, And for our last musical break, well, not musical break, that's all, folks. For the end of the show, (laughs) this is They Reminisce Over You by Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. Bye, everybody. Bye. Stay safe out there. I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say think back? 22 years ago to keep it on track. The birth of a child on the 8th of October. A toast, but my granddaddy came sober. Count all the fingers and the toes. Now I suppose you hope the little black boy grows. 18 years younger than my mama. But I really got beaten because the girl loved drama. In single parenthood, there I stood. By the time she was 21, had another one. This one's a girl. Let's name a Pam. Same father as the first, but you don't give a damn. Irresponsible plain not thinking. Papa said chill, but the brother keep winking. Still he won't down, you would tear out your hide. On your side while the baby make us slide. But mama got wise to the game. The youngest of five kids, hun, here it is. After ten years without no spouse, mama's getting married in the house. Listen, positive over negative for the woman a master. Mother queens rise in the chapter. Deja vu, tell you what I'm gonna do when they reminisce over you, my God. Reminisce over you, for real. For real, baby.